Good morning, everybody. Really glad to see you here today. Had no idea what to expect, so hey, thanks, thanks for being here. Um, you know, it's just the talk of everything this week, right? What a what a crazy week this has been, and um, uh, I I've already seen a foul this morning. If I had a whistle, I would have blown it, but I saw a handshake. You know. And, and if I would have had a flag, my, I, I'd have been like a referee, you know, throw it up in the air, brrr, personal foul, handshake, go wash your hands. I, I saw one of those. It's so instinctive, isn't it? You know, we see each other and it's like, oh, you, you know, it's, what do you do? It's, I don't know, it's so weird right now. But, you know, we're just, we're just doing the best that we can, right? And I think it's affecting all of us and we're all just trying to figure this out as we go um, it's been um, uh, unprecedented, it's been fearful, it's been shocking, right? You know, we were shocked to hear about no March Madness. What do you mean no March Madness? No spring, tra- no opening day baseball. And we thought, how are we going to do without basketball and baseball in the spring? That just isn't right. And then we found out no school, right? And now all of a sudden it's real and we're thinking, okay, what are we going to do without the kids being in school and, and, you know, parents having to make those kinds of decisions? It's, it's just been um, that kind of thing, and, and our emotions are high, and we're frustrated, and we're, we're just uh, trying to figure this whole thing out as we go along. And uh, it's affected all of us. It's affected, obviously, us here at the church as well because we've been trying to figure out what's the best thing for the church at the same time, we're trying to figure out what's the best thing for our community. And it seems like every day, as things change, we come up with a different answer to that, right? And uh, that means that uh, somehow we're living in this tension between what is faith and what is wisdom. And um, we're just trying to figure this out as we go. So thank you for your patience we um, assume we'll meet again next week, um, but we don't have that guarantee uh, whether uh, or not we're told we uh, are not allowed or should not, or whether we just think it's not in the best interest of our community. But we'll continue to communicate those things for you. We are prepared to be uh, online uh, with our services, and we'll continue to communicate um, those things uh, as well. But certainly we know that things are just rapidly changing in, in this, and um, we're going to do our best to, to come together and work on this as a church. And even though the circumstances are changing, I think we need to keep in mind God never changes, right? And all things are being canceled, but you cannot cancel the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You cannot cancel faith, hope, and love, right? You cannot cancel prayer or the Word of God. You cannot cancel the Church of Jesus Christ. You cannot cancel um, uh, the kingdom of God. And so there's, there's really nothing, no person, no authority figure, no law, no decree that can stop God's plan. That just doesn't exist. And sometimes God's plan is confusing because it looks nothing like what we would plan. Just ask Judas. 
Today we're going to take a look at a day in the life of Judas. That's a part of our Defining Moments series. And we're going to just continue with that series today. It dovetails well into the things that we're experiencing here this week. And uh, we're going to kind of talk about a 24-hour period a defining moment in the life of Judas, and then we're going to draw three applications out of that uh, here today. So that we're all on the same page. Judas, right? He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And when we think of the name Judas, we might think of the word traitor. We might think of the word um, uh, uh, betrayal, right? And those are the kinds of words that the gospel writers use to describe uh, Judas for us. For uh, example, uh, Matthew chapter 10, when Matthew lists the 12 disciples or apostles, he says the names of the 12 apostles. He gets to the end of the list, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And that's what we find throughout these gospel readers, writers. They all just want to include this little, this little description Um, Mark says the same thing. Luke says it this way. And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. You might recall last week's passage, John chapter 12, this dinner with Jesus and Lazarus and a bunch of people in Bethany and Mary and Martha were serving and Mary anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive perfume. And there was this loud objection that came from one of the 12. It was from Judas. And it said there, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, was later to betray him, objected. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all refer to Jesus as a traitor, as a betrayer, and none of them show him any sympathy or take any pity on him. He was an evil man. In fact, all of them describe his defining moment as satanic. John in particular, gives us the most detail into Judas's defining moment. And it happens in this very familiar setting of uh, the Last Supper when Jesus gathered his disciples together in the upper room and uh, he instituted um, uh, the new covenant with them at the Last Supper. So I want to read about that today. I want to encourage you to join uh, me in your Bibles, and uh, we're going to start here at the very first of John chapter 13, verse 1, and kind of set the stage for what's going on here. So it says that, John 13, 1, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil was already, had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. So what we see now is the betrayal of Jesus is going to unfold within this um, 24-hour period. And we know the main players, obviously Jesus being betrayed and the betrayer Judas, along with um, the chief priests and the Roman authorities, or at least those are the characters that we'd been there, we would have been able to see. 
But there were other players behind the scenes, namely God and Satan, who also had their hand in this. And so it's very complex what is happening in this situation. Well, John 13 goes on. It describes the familiar story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and then he joins them, reclining with them at the table. So if you would skip to verse 18. It says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. This is Jesus speaking. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. So Jesus had hinted for quite some time that this betrayal was going to come, and now the time was at hand. So this was not some unforeseen development. This was a fulfillment of prophetic scripture, namely uh, Psalm 41.9, where King David lamented that um, one that had been a close friend, one who had even shared bread with him, had uh, raised up his heel against him. So to raise up one's heel, picture taking off your shoe and shaking it or maybe even throwing it at somebody. That was uh, the custom to show uh, that you were angry, or you were in opposition, you were in disagreement. It was a public display of insult. That happened to David. Now it's happening to Jesus. And Jesus is just echoing what David had said so many years ago. And yet as terrible as this betrayal is, in no way was it thwarting God's plan. In fact, it was God's plan from the very beginning, and Jesus called it, right? One of you is going to betray me. So soon enough, the disciples would be on the other side of this betrayal. They'll be able to look back and say, wow, God really, Jesus really is in control of all things. He really is sovereign. He even knew who was going to betray him. But just because God determined that this is the way it was going to be did not take away the pain and the sting of the betrayal. Clearly, Jesus is emotionally distressed. He loved Judas. And this was hard for him. It's hard for him to see this one that he had invested in turn against him, even though he knew it was going to happen. And even though Jesus had been hinting all along, you know, there's going to come a point. One of you is a devil. One of you is going to betray me. Still, this announcement, this night, it, it was like dropping a bomb in that upper room. It was a shock to the disciples. Let's go to verse 22. He says, His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. 
one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. You know, I think when we try to imagine this scene, we try to imagine Leonardo da Vinci's painting, famous painting, right, of the Last Supper. And while this is a beautiful painting, it probably is not the most historically accurate painting. For one thing, they would have been reclining uh, and not sitting. Uh, and uh, for another, it's probably not very likely that they would have been at one table, but they would have been at multiple tables. Very likely, they would have been in the shape of a U. So at the head table, you would have had Jesus as the host in the center. And we can learn from this story that John was to his right, Judas was to his left, and flagged on the sides, you would have had um, the other disciples as well. So this is how, how Peter would have been able to make eye contact and kind of quietly, you know, do one of those read my lips. Ask him who it is, right? And that's how John would have been able to just very easily lean back uh, and ask Jesus because he was right uh, beside him. And because Jesus was the host of this very symbolic Passover meal, the different parts that went along with that meal, there was nothing out of the ordinary at all for Jesus to dip a piece of bread and to hand it to anybody in the room, including Judas. So the whole scene, it's full of a lot of mystery, a lot of intrigue, and a lot of irony. And while it was unfathomable to the disciples that one of their own would betray him, nothing else at all seemed out of the ordinary. They didn't try to stop Judas because I don't think they really had a clue what Judas was up to. Let's go back to our text, verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you were about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So here it is. Judas is at this crossroads. It is a defining moment. Satan has been tempting Judas for quite some time. And by taking the bread, Judas confirms his role as the betrayer. A defining moment. Satan entered into him. Satan just kind of flexed his evil muscles and Judas succumbed to the enemy. And Satan used Judas for his purposes and Jesus 
used Judas's satanic purposes for God's purposes. Now, Satan's part in all of this does not excuse the, pl- the part that Judas played. Judas was a willing player in this betrayal. And a lot of conjecture, why would he have done this? And most common thought is that he was disillusioned by Jesus' talk that he was going to go and die. And uh, Judas's aspirations for Jesus was that he would become um, a, a political leader and, and establish a new kingdom for Israel. But both Judas and Satan were wrong. Judas was wrong to assume that Jesus had political aspirations. Satan was wrong to assume that killing Jesus would thwart God's plan. Honestly, I think it's impossible to know anybody's motives, including those of Judas. We don't know his motives. But what is clear is that Judas allowed himself to come under the influence of Satan. In fact, Satan had been influencing uh, Judas uh, for a long time. We know that Judas was a thief. He made a regular practice of stealing. You might recall in John 12, our passage from last week, where it says Judas was a thief, as keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. And again, this was no surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew all along what Judas had been up to. In fact, earlier in the ministry of Jesus, as he spent time with the 12 and with the crowds, there there came this moment when Jesus ramped up his call for discipleship and the crowds began to thin and they kind of uh, began to kind of walk away. Some decided, man, he, he's asking for too much. And at that moment, Jesus gave his disciples an out. He said, do you want to leave also? And Peter spoke up for the group. This is in John 6 where it says, uh, Peter says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? We know who that is, right? And then John adds the parenthetical note. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Judas was in an interesting position. He was in the circle of Jesus while under the influence of Satan. And so here in John 6, Jesus gives him an out. Judas stayed. But he stayed for the wrong reasons. He tried to use Jesus for personal gain. And and I think it's at this point where we need to see our first application and that is selfish motives leave leave us susceptible to satan's influence so scripture describes satan as a lion as a roaring lion who's always out seeking to devour right when you think of a lion, uh, at least in my mind, I, I picture a lion on the attack, and I picture, um, I don't know if it's called a herd, but we're going to call it a herd of antelopes, lopes, 
What's the plural? I don't know. I'm going with antelopes, all right? A herd of antelopes. And uh, which one does the lion attack, right? The weakest, slowest, the one who has kind of aimlessly wandered away. Judas was that weak one. He was aimless. He was not on the same page with the rest of the disciples. He was weak because he was selfish. And it made him an easy target for Satan. Guard yourself against selfishness. Okay? Take it from Judas. When, when we sense selfishness in us, alarm bells should be going off. We have to crucify selfishness every single day. That is where we are most vulnerable. That is where Satan does the most damage is when he is aware that we are selfish. Now, I think this is especially true during distressing times, like the times in which we find ourselves uh, here today. We need to protect ourselves. We need to use common sense we need to walk in wisdom. But we also need to not become so concerned and absorbed in ourselves and our own personal safety that we're forgetting about others. You know, a lot of large gatherings have been canceled, but that doesn't mean we need to cancel love, right? So there's, there are a lot of opportunities for us going forward here, I think, in the midst of uh, what we're facing right now. So I just want to encourage you to stay connected, to check on each other, to um, pay attention to those who are most vulnerable, and, and to give them an extra measure of your attention and your love and your care, and to share where opportunity presents itself and to, to just, just say, you know what, now is not a time for me to, to become a hermit. Now is a time for me to continue to stay connected as, as I live safely even for the protection of my own family. I think we're going to have so many opportunities going forward and not just for the, those who are most vulnerable and the elderly, but for children. A lot of kids are going to need a, a lot of help. A lot of parents are going to need a lot of help. And I think we're going to have a lot of opportunities to love and to reach out and to care for uh, kids, whether it's volunteering to pass out food or uh, just uh, helping uh, a mom out who uh, desperately uh, needs a little help with some child care. The opportunities are there. When we are selfish we really kind of make ourselves susceptible to the ways that Satan wants us to live. Let's not do that. Let's, let's think about ways to encourage and help out one another. That's a first application, I think, that comes out of this. Second application here uh, would be that Satan's influence leads to devastating results. I think about Judas and his progression of his time with Jesus. He was uh, allowed to become the... Uh, treasurer, Jesus appointed him, I, we assume, you know. 
and uh, he went from stealing, little here, little there, to committing quite possibly the greatest mistake in the history of mankind, betraying the Son of God. And I think there are times when we just kind of look at little sins, whatever category you want to put that in, not really a scriptural term or necessarily even a scriptural principle, but I, I think we, we look at little sins and we think, you know, they're harmless if I indulge in, in little sins. And quite honestly, that's exactly what Satan wants us to believe because many times it is the little sins over the course of a period of time that eventually leads to some really big sin. Right? And I think we see that going on here in Satan's life, or in, in Judas's life. So every day, try to keep a check on your sin nature. It's really easy for us to profess Christ without surrendering to Christ. It is easy for us to be close to the truth and never commit to the truth. It's easy to look like a follower of Jesus and yet never follow in his footsteps. Now, we can fool other people. We can never fool Jesus, right? And, and he knows our heart. And make no mistake, Judas had an evil heart. And it ended badly. It didn't take Judas very long before he realized he'd made a very grave mistake. And if you know the story... Uh, he went back to the chief priests and he wanted to return the 30 pieces of silver, the blood money, what was equivalent to uh, buying a slave, 30 pieces of silver. And he said, I don't want this. I made a mistake. I, I'm, th this man is innocent. And he tried to give it back. They said, we can't take this money back. It's blood money. <laughs> they were more concerned about uh, ceremonial law than what they were justice of a, of a real human being. And so he, he threw the money into the table, into the temple. He goes running off, and what happens? He goes out and he hangs himself. Judas was regretful. Judas was not repentant. And there's a difference. Judas regretted that an innocent man had been arrested and he could pretty much tell what was going to happen once Jesus was arrested. He regretted that decision, but he did not repent of his sin. He didn't return to Jesus. He did not confess his sin. He didn't turn from his sin. And tragically, he died in his sin. And his graphic end depicts the depth of his despair and the loss of any hope. The most defining moment in your life may come at the lowest spiritual moment of your life. Right? That moment when you find yourself caught up in a web of destruction and sin. 
And in that low moment, that defining moment, is your moment to rise and to return back to Christ. It can happen to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. For the prodigal son, it happened in a pig pen. For the Samaritan woman, it happened at a well. For the woman caught in the act of adultery, it happened at her own public stoning. For Zacchaeus, it happened in a sycamore tree. For Saul of Tarsus, it happened on the road to Damascus. For you, it may happen at the bottom of an empty bottle. Or it may happen after another broken relationship. It may happen in a courtroom. It may happen in a doctor's office. It may happen in a lonely bedroom when you absolutely cannot stop crying. No matter how far you have traveled down the road to hell, there is always room for God's grace. And you may find yourself so tired and and so torn and, and so broken and destroyed inside by things that you have brought upon yourself that you just think, I am, I'm over it, I'm tired, I'm just ready to throw in the towel, right? But I want you to listen to the words of Jesus who says, come to me. I love that because that's directional. Somebody says, come, they're asking you to turn and to come to them. That's repentance language. Come to me, no matter what direction you've taken off in your life, it's obviously in the opposite direction of me. Turn around. I want you to come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, all you who are so tired because it's exhausting running away from God, you can't outrun him. He continues to pursue you, and you've been doing your best to avoid him, and yet you're just exhausted from running from him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, rest, man, that is what it is I have been looking for. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, that's what I've been longing for, soul rest, soul peace, deep within, within the deepest places of my life. I know it's off, I know it's wrong, I want rest there for my yoke is easy and my burden is light that's the invitation of Jesus Judas made a terrible choice but his defining moment could have been so different his defining moment could have come after the worst decision of his life His defining moment could have been when he came to Jesus, when he repented of his sins. But that's not the decision he made. None of us need to make the mistake of Judas. You can choose forgiveness and you can choose hope and 
you can choose eternal life because if not, sin ultimately is going to lead to terrible results. So there's one, uh, one other application I want to make here today. I think it just mostly speaks to what is so um, uh, much on our hearts here today. And um, that is that God is sovereign even over the worst of events. <laughs> if ever there was a time when we have... Um, wanted the reassurance that God was in control, it is right now. It is right now. Things are just changing so rapidly. The news is different every single day, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We just don't. And uncertainty breeds fear, right? When we don't know, we get all afraid. And it would be so easy for us to just crumble into fear. So this morning I want to encourage, uh, I want to challenge you, all right? Remember who you are. You are the child of the king who sits on the throne of the universe. And God is not in a panic. He is not surprised by a pandemic. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so now is not a time for us to panic. Now is a time for us to be reminded who really is in control here. And as we've looked at this story here today, <laughs> I'm telling you, if God can exercise sovereignty over an evil man, under Satan's influence for his good for the greater of humanity to accomplish his, his purposes to bring himself glory then I gotta believe that God exercises sovereignty over a virus so I think this calls for wisdom this calls for faith. This calls for uh, trust in God. And this calls for surrender. Today, I want to encourage you to, to think about God's got this. God's in control. I'm going to surrender to him. I'm going to surrender my fears. I'm going to surrender my anger. I'm, I'm, I'm going to surrender to him. Um, I'm going to surrender to him my sin, my rebellion. 
but I'm going to surrender to God today. I'm not going to let Satan get the victory. God's got this, and I'm going to trust in him. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to uh, sing in it's a prayer song. You know this song. Don't even need to look at the screen or the, the wall. But uh, I want it to be your prayer. And uh, obviously, as always, every week, if there's any way that we can serve you or pray for you or if you are ready uh, to make that next big step, your defining moment of coming to Christ, um, we'd be so glad to receive you up front here this morning.